<laughs> okay. Um, worship on Zoom is tricky. Well, actually, do you know what? It's not worship on Zoom that's tricky. It is singing on Zoom that is tricky. Music is tricky. Um, so we have to get creative with worship. We have to get creative with other ways of doing this. And so we're going to use the lectionary again this year for our teaching. Um, and part of the lectionary passages they give us is a psalm. So what we're going to do is we're going to use that psalm as our worship. Um, I like remembering that we are part of something bigger than us, which is why the lectionary is so cool. There are hundreds of churches all around the place looking at the same passages today, reading the same passages. So um, we're just going to use the psalm part as our worship. Some psalms are challenging. Um, some are an easy in to worship. Sometimes the rawness and humanity of the writer can kind of slap us around the face a little bit, and it's all okay. However it comes at us is okay. For this practice, which is what we're going to do, um, it's a practice that we can do together of reading and engaging with the song. Um, and I want you to remember that there are no right answers. So if somebody says something and you disagree, it's all cool. Okay. If somebody says something that you go, yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, maybe it's not right. It's just their opinion. Okay. So there's no right answers, mm -hmm. no right or wrong. It's all just a practice. Um, I posted the reading of this psalm on Wednesday uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and it's in the email invite that you got at the bottom. So you can read it along too. And I'm going to put it up on the screen so that you can read it there because it's a thing that we get to do together. This is our kind of communal act of worship. Each week, I'm going to be asking somebody to read the psalm for us. So I will come to you and say, hey, could you read? And all you have to do is read, record yourself, send me the video, and then we'll get to hear lots of voices in our community like we did for Advent, which was very cool. So as it's the first time through, I'm going to just let you know how this is going to work. First of all, I'm going to read Psalm 29 for us. Um, and then I'm going to show it on the screen so you can read along. Um, as you read, I invite you to notice any phrase or passage or sentence or anything that just stands out to you. And then I'm going to pause in silence for what will seem like forever, but will actually only be about 30 seconds. And we're just going to sit with that phrase or sentence or word, whatever it is, just chew over it in your head. And after that silence, I'm going to read the psalm again and then pause again for another time of silence. So, and then just be aware of any thoughts or emotions or questions or any kind of feeling that you have during that time that comes up during the silence. And at that point, if you want to share in the, in the chat, then you are very welcome to do so. So uh, let's just pray and then I will share my screen and read. So God, open our ears, open our hearts and open our minds as we read this passage together as our act of worship this morning. So this is Psalm 29. A song of David. Give all credit to the eternal, O heavenly creatures. Give praise to him for his glory and power. Give to the eternal the glory due his name. Worship him with lavish displays of sacred splendor. The voice of the eternal echoes over the great waters. God's magnificence roars like thunder. The Eternal's presence hovers over all the waters. His voice explodes in great power over the earth. His voice is both regal and grand. The Eternal's voice shatters the cedars. His power splinters the great cedars of Lebanon. He speaks and Lebanon leaks, leaps like a young calf. Syrian jumps like a wild youthful ox. The voice of the Eternal cuts through with flames of fire. The voice of the Eternal rumbles through the wilderness with great quakes. He causes Kadesh to tremble. The Eternal's voice 
brings life from the doe's womb. His voice strips the forest bare and all the people in the temple declare glory. The eternal is enthroned over the great flood. His reign is unending. We ask you, eternal one, to give strength to your people. Eternal one, bless them with the gift of peace. So just notice what you notice. I'm going to read it again. A Song of David. Give all credit to the eternal, O heavenly creatures. Give praise to him for his glory and power. Give to the eternal the glory due his name. Worship him with lavish displays of sacred splendor. The voice of the eternal echoes over the great waters. God's magnificence roars like thunder. The eternal's presence hovers over all the waters. His voice explodes in great power over the earth. His voice is both regal and grand. The Eternal's voice shatters the cedars. His power splinters the great cedars of Lebanon. He speaks and Lebanon leaps like a young calf. Syrian jumps like a wild youthful ox. The voice of the Eternal cuts through with flames of fire. The voice of the Eternal rumbles through the wilderness with great quakes. He causes Kadesh to tremble. The Eternal's voice brings life from the doe's womb. His voice strips the forest bare and all the people in the temple declare glory. The Eternal is enthroned over the great flood. His reign is unending. We ask you, Eternal One, to give strength to your people. Eternal One, bless them with the gift of peace. So just be aware during this second time of silence of any thoughts or emotions, questions or any body sensations that come up for you. And if you want to share that in the chat, then you are welcome to do so. And in the quiet, offer God whatever is in your heart, be that praise, thanksgiving, a question, whatever. Remember, there are no right or wrong answers. I love the repetition, repetition of the name, the eternal one throughout the psalm. When I'm caught up in the urgent and the immediate, I can get into it's everything's just now, but knowing that God is eternal stretches beyond that. Um, I think he's playing a really long game. 
God is eternal forever and ever. I love that. So yeah, pop in the pop in the chat things you want to notice or say. Um, the imagery beautifully illustrates the vast, endless nature of God. I love the action words referring to the eternal. Whenever there are tree limbs cracking in storms, I feel God is nearer. Amidst all the demonstrative statements of power is the contrasting gentleness of bringing life from the doe's womb. What a grounding reality of love amid power. The word shatters, explores, splinters, cuts, and rumbles. Uh, all of the mentions of historical places made it feel more connected to the earth and not just imagery and feelings. And love all the big words, shatter, thunder, splinter, cut through, and yet it results in peace. Worship him with lavish displays of worship, sacred splendor. Yeah, worship him with lavish displays of sacred splendor. Yeah, his reign is unending. Cool. That was our act of worship. I kind of like that. That's fun. Okay, Karina, I'm going to hand over to you. Hey everybody. Um, so we are going to participate together in our communion time. So if you haven't gotten your elements, which is a lovely churchy word that means something to eat, something to drink, um, now is the time to do that. So um, communion is both a practice and a symbol. So symbols hold a lot of meaning and that meaning can be really different depending on your experience attached to those symbols. So for example, the cross can symbolize and have really different meaning um, for people depending on, you know, if you're white, if you're black, if you're indigenous, if you're straight, if you're queer, the cross will have different meaning to you. And this week in the world, symbols and phrases of our faith were used in ways that we need to name because it exposed some really terrible beliefs that lead to evil practices and were traumatizing for so many. And honestly, my privilege wants me to brush it off, to dissociate. I want to turn a blind eye, but it's kind of privilege is kind of like being caught in the middle of a hurricane. And just because my experience is that the center feels calm doesn't mean that there isn't death and destruction happening to those around the edges. So we must look and we must name it together. Joe Saxton is a black preacher living in the US. She posted this last night on her Instagram. She said, we cannot heal what we will not name. We cannot treat what we will not diagnose. We cannot change or fix or transform what we will not name. We cannot platitude our way through it. We cannot minimize our way over it. We cannot unify over chasms we neglect to identify, but we can name it. Racism, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, Christian nationalism, exceptionalism, and many more. That was Joe Saxton is her name. So today during our time of communion, I wanna invite you to name with me these ideas, 
and injustices that have over history hidden behind the symbol of the cross and the banner of Jesus saves. We renounce a Jesus and a cross that saves through force, threats, coercion, and transaction. We renounce a God who is so weak that he has to use violence towards another human to get his will done. We renounce systems, laws, and governing bodies that have a different set of rules and responses for people in white bodies than black and brown bodies. We renounce a faith that calls itself Christian, that claims Jesus saves, but is rooted in fear, control, manipulation, and shame. We renounce our desire to punish and harm people who punish and harm. We renounce our desire to be silent and hope it goes away. We renounce our desire to spiritually bypass and use Bible and prayer as tools of silencing. So now I want you to take your elements and we're going to remember our symbols together. As a community, we come together to remember and to recommit to the work of anti-racism, of creating equity, of speaking truth to power, of listening to and believing those who experience life in the margins. We remember how the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus transforms symbols that have been used for evil and resurrects them for good. We remember that God in Christ saves us from sin, Satan, and death because of God's other-centered, self-emptying, and radically forgiving love. We remember that when Jesus emptied himself of power and took up the cross, he didn't put aside his true nature, but revealed it. We remember that we're most like Jesus when we let ourselves be broken and poured out for the sake of others. We remember our gospel is a gospel of peace. We remember that the foot of the cross is on level ground, whosoever will may come. We remember that the table is wide, and it is open and it belongs to God. Will you take communion with me?
And I thought we could end today. This is, it's probably going to be a little bit uh, imperfect. But as we're remembering the redemptive nature of Jesus and the love and the life that he invites us into, I thought we could read through the Lord's Prayer together. And Sarah's going to put up on the screen the um, version that came out of that attack in New Zealand a year or so ago. And if you want to, you are welcome to unmute. And as imperfect as it is, we'll just, I'll kind of try and lead us through. <laughs> but you are welcome to join. Or if that's just too much, you don't, you don't have to unmute. But I'm inviting you to unmute and I will get that started for us. And we're just gonna join together and remember, remember. So eternal spirit, earth maker, pain giver, life giver, source of all things, Father, Father loving God, who is heaven, the hallowing of your name, echo through the the way of your justice, be followed by the people of the world. You are heavenly, done all created beings. Your, your commonwealth of peace and freedom in our whole state on earth. With the bread we make, in the hurts we have in time of patience from the grip all that is evil, for you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Forever. Oh, Amen. Amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. That doesn't matter. Now, okay. take this off now. So we can, we'll mute everyone again. I kind of like the chaos of that sound of the voices all saying it at different times and in different ways. Yeah. It's just, it's like listening to, I'm sure how God listens to us, like all at once in a crazy cacophony of craziness. Was, that was lovely. Thanks, Karina. Yeah, thank you. And so God, I just pray that you would bless Eden as she shares with us today. Thank you for the word that she has and for this community and for how we're doing our best to belong and love one another and to remember your way of love and your way of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's nice to be here with you. I think I can echo Kathy's words like, Zoom, put me on. Let me see these guys. Um, 
I'm going to start with um, our, our passage today, and it's from Mark chapter 1, first 11 verses. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey and likely didn't brush his teeth. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Mark starts his gospel by establishing exactly who Jesus is, in case this would ever come into question. And he makes it clear that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Then Mark pulls out his sources using Isaiah 40 verse 3 and clarifies further that John is making a way for Jesus, who is the Lord, namely Yahweh. Then the spotlight is put back on John the Baptist and his role in the Isaiah prophecy coming to fruition. John, who is Jesus's blood relative, a cousin, has been baptizing people down by the river. People, explicitly Jews, have been coming out in droves to confess their sins to John and to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. So let's just uh, back up for a minute to gain a little bit of context. The Jews were accustomed to a sacrificial system based in the law. The system was a measured way of making restitution for sins committed by having to make an animal sacrifice in the temple. So what on earth were these Jews doing when they were heading out to the river to find John and confessing their sins to him and accepting forgiveness via baptism? The sacrificial system was still fully functioning. 
So what's going on here? John was making a way for the Lord. He was making straight paths, just like Isaiah prophesied. He was already leading a way forward that would free the Jews from the law and bring them to live by the Spirit. The Jews were entirely tethered to the temple and to their priests. And John was beginning to open up a crack in that wall. And at Jesus's death, that same wall or curtain that shrouded the Holy of Holies was torn entirely. We know historically that within 40 years of John baptizing at the river, that the temple would be utterly destroyed and in fact has never been rebuilt. It seems that there was something within the people of that day that recognized the need to follow those who were preparing the way and straightening the path for the Lord. Then Jesus shows up and John recognizes him and baptizes him in the Jordan. And the spirit descends like a dove and the father expresses his love and Trinity is witnessed in all her glory. This is a really golden moment. John has prophesied that while he baptizes with water, the one to come will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So how is that preparing the way and straightening the path? Well, uh, preparing and straightening is all about repositioning ourselves. So we turn from one thing and turn to another. In the context of this passage, the Jews were turning from the letter of the law, rule keeping and a legalistic religion based in a sacrificial system and turning to spirit-filled, love-based, God-centered faith that brought followers into a relationship with Trinity. There was a transition beginning and John was not the only one moving in that direction at the time. It was a transition away from rule keeping towards the very heart of the law, which was love. The path was now pointing towards the kingdom of God and not the temple. Let's fast forward to see how this actually played out in just a few years time from Jesus's baptism. Acts 2 tells us the story of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first descended on Jesus's followers and left them so impacted by the experience that Peter had to defend them as onlookers, accusing them of being drunk. Peter uses Joel to, to explain what is happening. And here's Joel 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And that was just this week. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there we see another transition, another bend in the path that is being straightened out. Here in this passage in Acts, you're beginning to fully grasp the massive transition that John had prophesied about and that Jesus had begun through his ministry here on earth. The Old Testament follows the narrative of an exclusive group of people, all descendants of one man who call themselves chosen and are intent on keeping themselves pure. When John arrives on the scene, it is still a Jewish crowd he is focused on. But within Jesus's timeline on earth, you begin to see some exceptions in who he touches or who is allowed to touch him. He heals Gentiles, people who are not chosen. He touches lepers. He talks to women and calls them friends. He offends the establishment and he challenges the temple rules. If we look at scripture on a linear timeline, we should see an ever evolving path of inclusion. From a chosen few to the spirit being poured out on all people and everyone who calls on the Lord being saved. But to be clear, Paul notes in Romans that that was the intention of God and is clearly demonstrated in the Abrahamic covenant all along because it was meant to be a blessing for all people through the seed of Abraham, not exclusively for all of his descendants and only his descendants. I'm extremely grateful that within this community, we understand that spirit of inclusion and that we have diligently in this past year, especially made determined efforts at making sure that the way for all people is as even and as flat a path as possible. Our world around us is heaving and struggling with the tension between how things are and how they should be. Those who have position and power are mostly loath to give it up. Those who have a place at the table gladly enjoy the benefits provided and sadly seem to have little regard for those who sit hungry at their feet. And neither do they seem to want to move over and make room for yet more at the table. I remember as a child really looking forward to the big holidays like Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving 
because that meant that we would all be together as an extended family and would have a big delicious meal together. On my dad's side, there was my Oma, her three children, and then their families. That was 22 people for dinner in the early days. Now it's over 70. What I remember most vividly is the setup for our kitchen. While the youngest batch of cousins was still little, we had a small table in the corner where we would eat together. But as everyone grew, a better solution was needed. The goal was to have everyone in the room together and everyone on a chair and seated at the table. With these kinds of numbers, that was a tall order. So my parents endeavored to find solutions. When I was 13, my parents undertook a major renovation of our house to create a big kitchen and dining room that was way too big for our immediate family, but was perfect when the extended family arrived for Christmas. A beautiful big table was purchased to match the china hutch. Remember those? And it accommodated two large leaves that allowed 16 people to sit around the table, table comfortably. And the room had space for another entire table that accommodated the rest of us. We were squished for sure, but being together, all at the table, all enjoying the same meal was the goal and with effort we had accomplished. But I remember when strangers started coming to those family meals, boyfriends and girlfriends and roommates and distant relatives. And I began to recognize that we were not just making room for our own family, but really for anyone and everyone who cared to join us. The kingdom of God is a banquet table. And if we look through the lens of scripture, it seems to have endless capacity to seat more at it. There's always another leaf we can put in the table and more chair, chairs that we can add. And the kingdom's kitchen will not run out of the food that we need because what it is serving is love beyond measure mercy without end, forgiveness for all, and grace for each day. Can we, as a faith community, continue to extend our table and make a way for the Lord? In this coming year, can we accommodate and make even more space and room at our table for all who want to join us? We may have to do a bit of a renovation or find leaves to put in the table. We may have to rummage for chairs. But my honest hope is that there will be a place for everyone at the table. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to see just how big the kingdom's table is, how far it stretches how many it can seat. Help us to make the space that is meant for all who long to sit and eat what you have prepared for all of us. 
give us eyes to see what you meant by all people and everyone. Help us to make way for you and to straighten the crooked paths. Amen. <laughs>